And I believe that this is why it's so important that when, no matter whether we live or die, we're about Jesus. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going through his series called Close Encounters with Jesus. So, get ready to follow along in your Bible as we join Pastor Mike. Well, good morning. If you have your Bible, I invite you to open them to the book of John. John chapter 21. John 21. We're we're looking at uh, close encounters of the real kind. It's impossible that if you come in a close encounter with Jesus, your life is going to be changed. It's the way it always is. And this is one of the great things as we study God's Word, to see what we find that Jesus, the way He addressed people, the way He loved people, the way He restored people, that's what we're about. Father, this morning as we read Your Word, we ask You now that Your Holy Spirit would come in a special way and touch every single heart here, every single heart watching on the internet, every single heart listening on the radio across America and around the world, we ask you now that your Holy Spirit would speak to us and give us that hope that comes only from you in Jesus' name. Amen. We remember last week, Jesus catches up with Peter along the Sea of Galilee. They had caught Nothing. Jesus said, put your net on the other side. And they brought in such a, a, a humongous load, 153 fishes, but the net didn't break. And as they were bringing there, Jesus said, bring some fish over here, and I have some coals and some bread here for you. By the way, as we talked about last week, God always provides for us before we even realize we need it. But sometimes, again, we realize that God uses what we have to carry out the purpose of God. And he said, bring those fish over here. And while they were done eating, Jesus looks at Peter and said, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter responds and says, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. The second time, Jesus said, Peter, do you agape me? Do you have that deep, intimate love for me spiritually that you should have. And he said, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. And the third time, Jesus said, Peter, are you fond of me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. Is it interesting that he asked him three times concerning, do you love me? And yet three times before that, he had denied the Lord that he ever knew him. Now, a couple of things that are interesting. Why did Peter deny Jesus there in the courtyard when they were asking him, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? We remember earlier Jesus said, you know, Jesus said, Satan has been asking for you by name. Isn't it interesting that God in some way has an understanding 
or maybe I should say the devil has an understanding of what potential you and me can do for the kingdom of God. And Satan asks for us by name, and the Bible says for what reason? To sift us like wheat. In those days when they would sift wheat, it was to separate the grain from the chaff. First of all, they would take the grain and they would kind of crunch it all up after they would harvest it. And then what they would do is they'd put it in a big hoop and then in the wind they would pick it and throw it up in the air and the wind would carry away the chaff and the heavier grain would come back down in the basket. Jesus said, Peter, that's what the devil wants to do to you. He wants to crunch you up. He wants to take and throw you up in the air and let stuff blow away. Well, that's interesting. I think uh, the devil wants to do that to everyone. We remember in the Old Testament, in the book of Job, this is the very thing that the devil said to God concerning Job. He said, uh, where you been, devil? He says, I've been out cruising. What did you find? Oh, the whole world's corrupt. He says, well, have you considered my servant Job? Uprighteous, great man, all of his ways. Now, the only reason he's good. The only reason he's good, the only reason he loves you is you give him all that good stuff. You take away all that good stuff, he'll curse you to your face. Well, we remember God allowed Satan to do that, and we remember that Job remained faithful to the end. I do believe that, again, if you're going to do anything for God, you're going to be a target of the devil's wrath. Get used to it. Welcome to the battle. You say, but Mike, I'm scared of that. I don't know if I want to do that or not. Well, here's the reason why you need to. When God comes to us, we remember that in the book of Acts, chapter 2, they were cut to the heart when they saw all the things going on, the the power of the Holy Spirit. And they said, what should we do? And we remember Peter said, repent and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what's repentance? You know, sometimes I realize we get into what I call Christian ease. Christianese is where we use the word repentance and salvation and belief and all these things. And the world out here goes, huh? Well, I'd like to change the word repentance to another word. Something we would probably more understand in our society today. Why are you wasting your life? Really, that's what repentance is. When we come to an understanding that we have been wasting our lives. God has put you on this earth for a reason. And again, you're not a cosmic mistake. That's why I give away that DVD, Evolution versus God. Because again, if the evolutionists and the atheists can undermine the book of Genesis, that lightning hit a swamp and we all a bunch of squiggly things and here we are all millions of years later, Well, then the Bible doesn't have any foundation. That's why they attack creation so heavily and why they try to substitute the myth of evolution in its place. Now, here's why that's important. You're not an accident. You're not a result of lightning hitting a swamp. You're divinely created by God, put on this planet. No one has ever been like you on this earth ever before, and no one will ever be like you here ever again. I like that. That's why I don't know how God uses two eyes, a nose, and a mouth and makes every one of us look different. I have never quite figured that one out yet. It's really funny sometimes when cartoonists try to make an image of a cartoon of a, of a person, a personality, a political figure, they'll, they'll draw it. And they, there are certain things that are part of their code, they say. 
Well, they've got eyes that are wide-spaced, or they'll have uh, maybe a, a large nose, or a small nose, or a, 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 a quirky smile. They use those little features so you can identify the cartoon. But the thing is, what's interesting, only you are you. God made you unique. He put you here for a reason. I believe one of the reasons why Peter denied the Lord there in the campfire, uh, there in front of court, uh, Herod's uh, courtyard, was because he was afraid he would be arrested and crucified along with Jesus. I believe every single person in those days was horribly fearful of the government. Now remember something. Jesus was cru uh, crucified between what? The thieves. Not between the murderers, but, be but between the thieves. Why is that? Because they had a very hard line against crime. You didn't toe the line, you got executed. That's just the way it worked. And so I think Peter was probably scared. And that's why he kept denying that he knew the Lord. Well, now Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? Interestingly enough. And finally he says, Lord, you know I'm fond of you. Jesus came down to his level. Yes, if you can't have that deep relationship that I want to have with you, at least you're fond of me. And prayerfully and knowledgeably that will grow. Well, verse 18 is where we left off last week. Jesus is saying most assuredly, and this is where Jesus is saying, hey, listen, this is going to happen, okay? And he says this to Peter. I say this to you. When you were younger, you girded yourself and you walked where you wished. I think that's the way a lot of people are. When we were younger, we did what we wanted to do, even sometimes if it was pretty stupid. In fact, you watch some of these YouTube videos sometimes that are out now on stupid things young people do. It's pretty crazy. I mean, like they'll, there's a new one now where they get out of the car, they put the car in drive and just let it idle. And then as the car is rolling down the street, they jump out of the car and go dancing around the car. Yes, sometimes the car runs over people and the car hits telephone poles and trees and houses and cars and things like that. The crazy things we did when we were young. But he says, you did what you wanted to do. But when you are old... You will stretch out your hand and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This is the signification of how Peter was going to die. And I think Peter very clearly understood that when they stretch out your hands, he realized that was speaking of crucifixion. In fact, we find that some 34 years later, this exactly is what happened. Peter was crucified upside down. He said he wasn't worthy to die like his Lord was. But it's interesting what he tried to avoid in the denial of Christ. When he came back to Jesus, Jesus said, Peter, you're going to die for me. Now notice this next verse, because it's important. This Jesus spoke signifying what death, and here it is, he would glorify God. Do you realize whether we live or die, we glorify God? And I think that's really important. A lot of people think we only glorify God when we're alive. But you know what? In our death also is glorification to God as well. Your life met something on this earth. And I, friends, I think that that's really important. Because I see so many people live their life for no reason. With stupid cliches, he with the most toys when he dies wins. Nothing. 
You're not taking it with you when you go. Well, go for the gusto. Well, you can have all the gusto you want, but they're still going to throw dirt in your face. So what then is the purpose of life? And I believe that Jesus here is reassuring Peter, yes, you're going to die a death for me. You're going to be crucified, but you're going to glorify God in that. I believe no matter what we do, whether to live or to die, we glorify God. My heart goes out right now, especially even today in Red China. Right now, the communist government is cracking down on Christians everywhere. They're, they're captured, they raid churches, they're burning Bibles by the piles in the street. If you're caught being a Christian, you're either sentenced to hard labor for decades or you will be forced to sign a document renouncing your faith in Christ. That's happening right now in China. So we realize that having to die for our our relationship with God may be required for us someday. Sometimes we die for somebody else. Greater love, Jesus said, hath no man that he lay his life down for a friend. I remember hearing some of the stories of the Second World War where the ships were sinking and the, the people who were ministers on the boat the Parsons they were there, and as they were giving out life jackets and they saw that they were running out of life jackets, they continued to give them to the, the GIs as they were jumping into the water. But they realized that they were going to give away all the life jackets and they themselves were not going to have one and they themselves were going to die. You see, I believe sometimes when we lay our life down, it may be in, perhaps like Peter, it may be just to die for somebody else. And I believe that this is why it's so important that when, no matter whether we live or die, we're about Jesus. And so he spoke this saying how he would die. I'm sure this probably troubled Peter. I'm sure it troubled Peter because of the reaction we get from Peter here. And he says, after he had spoken this, Jesus said to Peter, follow me. Seems simple enough, doesn't it? Life or death, we follow Christ. But then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, speaking of John, the writer of this book, following, who had leaned on Jesus' chest, literally, during the Last Supper, and said, Lord, who is the one who... He said, Lord, who is the one that betray you? And Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus... It is the Lord, but what about this man? Peter goes, okay, yeah, I see Peter. (laughs) Jesus said, I see John. I see you, Peter. He said, you follow me. And Peter's response was, well, what about John? I think it's always an interesting thing when we want to look around and see what everybody else is doing. I think this is one of the greatest robberies in the Christian world today. God has, if you don't get anything else out of this message today, get this. God has inspiration for you. As we said earlier, no one's ever been like you before. No one will ever be like you ever again. God has specific purpose for you. I think one of the greatest things that we as Christians can do is look around and see somebody else and think their shoes will fit us. Well, I see what that person's doing. I'll just do what they're doing. I think this happens in individuals' lives. I think this happens in churches' lives. 
I think this sometimes happens in movements life. Well, what caused the Jesus revival in the late 60s and early 70s? And let's do that again. Let's get some of that old-time funk music and start playing it. And No, that's not what caused the Jesus movement. Wasn't the song, Put Your Hand in the Hand of the Man or Norman Greenbaum's Spirit in the Sky. It was a divine time in which the world was looking for love and Jesus was love. That is what caused, I believe, the Jesus movement. But people, instead of looking for fresh inspiration, they want to go lay on the graves of past evangelists to suck their souls so they will somehow be able to do what they did back then again. Friends, every day is a new day with Christ. Every day is a new day in which God wants to do something new. The most dangerous thing I believe a Christian can do is look around what God is doing in somebody else and say, that's what I should do, rather than go to God and say, God, what do you want me to do? You see, you're an individual and your daddy in heaven loves you. Now, I have two kids. I wouldn't necessarily tell one kid to do the exact same thing the other kid's doing for several different reasons. One, they might not be capable of doing that. Number two, they may not have the the heart to do it or the maturity to do it. I think one of the greatest things, and this was the mistake that Peter was doing, he said, well, what about John? Well, hey, listen. Look what he says. Jesus said to Peter, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Wow. Man, what a rebuke for trying to figure out what somebody else is supposed to be doing for God. Whoa. Why is that? Because God has you doing what he wants you to do. Well, Mike, I don't know what God wants me to do. Well, I appreciate that honesty. The first thing the Bible says, to know God's will, give thanks in all things, for this is the will of Christ Jesus concerning you. The will of God, first of all, is for us to be thankful. What happens in thankfulness? We take inventory. Lord, thank you that I have a car that runs. Thank you that I have hands. Thank you that I have a place to live. Thank you that I have a car that I can drive to church in and bring my friends. And we begin to take inventory of what we have. And we then realize, God, I've got a lot of things that you have blessed me with that I in turn can bless somebody else with. That's the way God works. But if we're not thankful for what we have, we'll never be thankful for what we get because we refuse to recognize the blessing of God in our life. So therefore, I have to look at somebody else to see what God is doing in their life that somehow I can transpose the calling, the anointing of God, what they have in my life. I can go around trying to be a soul sucker. (laughs) There's actually churches that teach that. Go lay on the grave of a past evangelist and suck their soul. That's a really demonic necromancy is what that's called, but that's another whole topic. The point is, what God has for you to do can be found by going and sitting on your daddy's lap. I love that. 
Oh, religion gets so gooey, isn't it? You know, that's all that stuff you do to impress God. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do that. All those things we do. God just wants to have that father-child relationship with you. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Oh, far out, Obawan Ben Kenobi, please heareth thy my prayer. And you always got to pray in 16th century King James English, because that impresses God. Oh, thou dost thou not knoweth? And you also need to use words that you don't really even understand. Dost thou not knoweth that I thee beseech thee, O God? And I can just see our Heavenly Father look at us going, what's wrong with you? Don't you know? I just want you to come and sit on my lap and let's talk and I'll tell you what I want you to do. I love that. See, religion always complicates a personal relationship with your father. Our father, our daddy in heaven. See, when you talk to God, always remember, talk to him as a father that loves you. That's going to help in the way you communicate with him. The second thing is, remember, Paul says, whereby we cry out a father. I mention this almost every sermon, and why is that? Because it's everything religion isn't. Religion says you got to do something to have this unknowable God recognize you. Where the Bible says through Jesus Christ, we're adopted, we've been brought into the family of God, and I can cry Father. Now, why is that important? Not like Peter. Well, what about this man? Hey, I can go to my daddy, and I can say, Father, what do you want me to do? I don't have to try to put his coat. Remember in the Old Testament, Goliath. This big giant of a man, the top of his head was about as high as a, as a basketball hoop. This was, you know, I mean, he didn't have to run and slam dunk. He could just reach over and drop it in. He, did, he didn't have that problem. And we remember that Jesse, David's dad, sent him out to the, the battleground. And he says, you send out your warrior, I'll take him on, Goliath yelled, and the winner takes all. And nobody from the camp of Israel would go out. David brought his brothers some figs and some raisins and some grapes, brought him some things to eat and some uh, little pastries. And he heard this giant reviling the, the God of Israel. And he said, well, I'll go out and take him on. Now, you got to remember, David spent some time on the backside of the wilderness taking care of sheep. Some, uh, some predator would come trying to take a sheep away. And, you know, David didn't have probably a lot to do all day other than pray and thank God for all the things that God is and play with a slingshot. And I've noticed something. If you just play with something for a long time, you get good at it. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse by verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. 
On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening and tune in next time for It's Time.